sounds like like in math we talk about um, often when you are given like a hard problem you break it down to smaller easier problems but there's also the reverse approach that is less um, less often used where you take a problem that you don't know how to do you make it much harder and then sometimes it like folds back around to become easier <laughs> Welcome to the Trash Lanch. Zing! It's Brent Halliburton. I'm here with Mike Fouché and Brett Pibus. Attendance is always 100%. It's another fantastic pod. We're doing an early one this week because, as always, we flex the schedule of our pod to meet our attendance criteria. Um, guys, many, many reviews this week. Way to rise up, listeners, and drop the reviews. This is the week we've been waiting for, and we owe it all to you. It is absolutely amazing. I want to start by saying that I noticed as I was going through and reading all our reviews that Matt W66, who had previously left us a one-line review, left a like multi-paragraph review for Flow to K. And while wow. we feel bad about all the other pods, we do want to note that, that we expect um, more voluminous reviews for our pods than for the other pods. Your betrayal has been noted. I know people leave reviews so we can talk about them on the pod. I thought we should let you know that your betrayal has been noted. And we've not talked about you on the pod in that context as well. More meaningful reviews. Okay. So anyway, let's talk about the great reviews, guys. 14 Mudkip 14 left a fascinating review. He says, awesome. New listener. Love the newest one, which I listen to. Charismatic hosts. And they cover my favorite topics. That being said, the podcast logo really needs to be mm-hmm. changed. If you put in a commission to someone for a little bit of money, you could probably get a really sweet Garbador logo and a ton more listeners. Great pod, though. Keep it up. I think that's a very salient point. I don't know. I don't know necessarily what it'll do to our metrics, but I have just been fiending for some merch. And what 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 some good merch needs is some good some good logos and some good designs. So I I really I feel like the actionable step there is we you got to talk to Dustin. I mean, I don't I don't disagree. I do I, <laughs> I do I do find it funny, and I'm sure he will. And in, in, enjoy the, um, I don't know the status that we just Pokemon who Pokemon community. We need a designer again. Who do we got? <laughs> yeah, it's like always Dustin. Dustin. <laughs> right, right. Get Dustin on the line. <laughs> uh, Dustin knows I appreciate a good set of brand guidelines. So you know, I I, I like to keep that stuff on point. So it, it's really good. Uh, so I will say. So here here's some commentary. Fourteen Roadkip fourteen. I encourage you to go to our Twitter. At B. Pibus is Brits, at Mike Fouché is Mike's, and mine's at B. Halliburton. I, I posted a Garbador logo that I had Piper Lapine, who is a um, prominent young senior master now in the uh, Pokemon community, drew for us early on in the podcast. I, I paid her to draw a funny picture of Garbador because she was looking for commissions. And I thought, um, you know, teenage girls in the Pokemon community should have people commission them to draw art. So I, I gave her some money and had her draw an awesome Garbodor for us. And it looks pretty cool. But the reason I've stuck with the one that I've stuck with is, like, um, I mean, logos are a very personal thing. But, like, I feel like the symmetricalness in some way behooves future super merch opportunities. Like, I imagine a circular Trash Lanch Pokemon podcasty kind of type font around that logo and like slapped on the front of t-shirts and sweatshirts and something. And that, it, and it kind of looks like a thing. Whereas like I looked at Piper's and I was like, on the one hand, it's a fantastic looking Garbodor and he has headphones. 
and like that's pretty good but but he didn't look like logo like to me so so that the the symmetrical uh cartooniness of wherever i lifted that from it's like it's art from a pokemon uh, video game um appealed to me from a logo perspective having said that you know logos like as I'm sure Dustin will tell you, clients think all kinds of things are great, but clients are stupid. That's exactly what I am. I'm a professional client. Um, I don't know. How do you guys feel about Piper's versus the current logo? Yeah, I I guess I kind of have similar opinions. I think the the Piper's would probably be great, like as like a centerpiece on a shirt, maybe. But like the logo would be good as like you know a little like chest thing something like that i don't know that that's kind of how i see the difference if i'm yeah. thinking about it at least in terms of clothing yeah. right i mean i think that would be it i don't know i don't know any real any of the real like rules for logo design and and all that sort of thing but yeah i just think that when you want when you want your your icon you want it to be like sleek and minimal and you know memorable and then yeah you blow up a full shirt you can do you know whatever you want but in terms of just the icon, your logo has to be small, compact, symmetrical, you know, maybe probably just the sum of a bunch of geometrical shapes, things like that. Um, yeah, uh, 14 Mudkip 14, we gave you the Twitter handles. Reply to my uh, picture of Pipers or tweet at us with your ideas. I'm open to ideas. I recognize logos is hard, man. I mean, everybody's everybody's got an opinion. And like, except for the Apple logo, I think everybody, you can always find somebody who thinks somebody's logo is stupid. It's, it's very challenging. So here, here's, here's professional story sidebar for you guys. Um, so my first like 10 years out in the universe, I was like technology consulting. And, and then I got my first job where I like worked at the company and I told people I hadn't realized just how happy that would make me. But, but uh, the way I was explained, it was like, as a consultant, people would hire me to like make them this beautiful thing. And then I would craft this like beautiful thing and I would give it to them. And then they would be like, I'm now I'm going to screw it up and I'm going to screw it up. And this is exactly how it is for logo design too. Right. Um, and, and I told people, I realized when I went to work client side, like when I'm the person that was like screwing it up, it just made me so happy. It was so much happier being the person who screwed it up. And that's how I've always described getting out of the consulting business and going client side as it, as it turns out, a very uh, good choice for me. I think logos are a lot like that too. Like the great thing about working at a marketing agency is you get to design lots of different logos for lots of different people. So you become very, very good at understanding like what makes a logo and, and what people's brands stand for. And like going client side kind of sucks because essentially like you get these brand guidelines and then basically you're just like, you have to live within these brand guidelines the rest of your life. Whereas when you're working at the agency, you're like, I'm going to write the brand guidelines and I get to write different brand guidelines every week, like go from company to company, making their awesome brands. Um, That's like a way more fun gig, except right at the end of your project, the client always comes in and screws it up. (laughs) And, and part of my quest for like the last 10 or 15 years is every time I hire a consultant company, I'm like, I want to help you have a good experience here. Like I'm going to screw it up because that's like the job of every customer is to come in at the end and completely screw it up. But like, I want to screw it up in a way that you're okay with. So we'll have open communication about that. And that that's the story of Brent in the workplace. Um, all right. We got a second review. Skinny Pepper says, busted. 
Yo, love the cast. I throw you guys on while driving to work in the car. You guys bring really bring to light all the different angles of the meta and why certain techs are currently being played. More players should be listening to you guys. If you're reading this review and you haven't listened to them, just do it. You won't be disappointed. Three questions topics. What are you guys' favorite Pokemon? My favorite Pokemon is Gengar. Always has been. Nine Tails always has been. You know, mine mine was early early on, I think it was Snorlax. So I felt like Snorlax was the the like official Pokemon of dads. Um but but then I changed it to Mimikyu when they introduced Mimikyu because mm. um the idea that there's a Pokemon that so badly feels like they're so ugly inside, but wants to be loved <laughs> so badly that tugs at my heartstrings. What can I say? That's good. I, 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 I appreciate how hard he's working. One of my favorite too. I think I don't know. What's more interesting to me about this sort of question is not actually your favorite, but more interested in like what's your fifth favorite? You know, something kind of <laughs> something kind of arbitrary. Because I know, like, you know, for instance, I don't know how if if Mikey's you know top six. Six is always a good number too, just because that's however many you can you could have in real life or something where you mm-hmm. to have them. Um, for your team but I always think too like because like I like Ninetales for aesthetic reasons I just always love foxes and that's kind of all there is to the story but then when I'm making the the other parts of my list like it gets a little more personal and that's what I mean by it's like it's more interesting so like I may like my third favorite Pokemon might be you know say the first Pokemon I qualified to worlds with or something like that. I'm just, I'm just always interested in the whole sort of the meticulousness of the process of making your list just as much as your choice itself. I think who you are as a person is very much, you know, in that story itself, just as much as as, as it is the just arbitrary choice. You know, I have to make maybe today is my favorite, you know, today's Pikachu is my favorite. Tomorrow it might be Mimikyu. But at the end of the day, there's just like, there's something wrapped into you that, you know, just makes it a little more interesting. Tells tells us about who you are as a person. That's like, or I guess also this flip tide too. Like, what's your least favorite Pokemon? That's similarly always a good story too. Yeah, maybe we should do, maybe when, when we know we have a podcast coming up where we don't have as much to talk about, we should uh, prepare a list of top five or top six for various reasons. Um, yeah, I think that would be. Cool. Why is why is yours Gengar, Mike? Is there a reason? Not really. I was just young and really liked Gengar. But like, probably my second favorite is Gardevoir for kind of like a similar reason to what Britt said. Gardevoir was the Pokemon that got me my first like really national or world stage finished when I got top four at a U.S. nationals with Gardevoir. And so, and then I really like Gardevoir GX and like, et cetera. So like Gardevoir has always been like a Pokemon that I've really liked because of the cards. Um, yeah, I thought, about- I, I think Brit is, Brit is not wrong when he says like at a certain point, it kind of devolves to, I had a really good outcomes with this deck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like really like my, the deck I qualified for worlds with the first time was uh, Dialga, Dialga Chomp, mm-hmm. Dialga SPA. And I'm just like, I like sometimes think, or like, I wish I liked Dialga more <laughs> like because it's a good sentimental story, but I'm just like, I'm sorry. He's an ugly Pokemon. It's, it's a great memory for me to have. Those are some, I remember those tournaments and just sort of how how nail biting it was for me to qualify for that first time. But 
Dialogue dial ain't it for me, unfortunately. And like, and similarly, like I do like Seismitoad, and I don't think I like Seismitoad as a Pokemon. I think it's kind of a sillier, just kind of awkwardy. The weird Gen Five has just kind of weird designs. Yeah. But yeah, and so Seismitoad is like I do have fond memories of that Pokemon because of the card. Right. Uh, I, another thing too, when it comes to the making your favorite i always do the um there's so many of them now but the you know the ones where you just you select and you select and select and eventually we'll just like give you your favorite do you know what i'm talking about i think it's on like github yeah 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 and those similarly like i wonder like what which one is closer to the to the real you is it the ones that you do you tell or is it would it be because like when anytime i do that it's always a little different there's always some weirdos that tend to make it pretty far and so, yeah, like, and I don't know, so much of preferences are just actually arbitrary, ultimately arbitrary. So I don't think there's really a whole lot of explanation to them. But I wonder about that. Like, is that me or is that me? Which one's closer? When I say Ninetales or when Mimikyu is my favorite Pokemon on the GitHub selector? Good question. All right. All right. Skinny Pepper's got two more questions. These are all really good. Um, what is your, your favorite regionals you've been to? It's a harder question. It's a good question, though. I know and I can talk on the TOs I like, <laughs> and I guess I won't talk about the TOs I don't like. Um, <laughs> but there are definitely some TOs I love that almost always offer a good tournament experience. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to run well. Sometimes there's just, um, you know, a, a wrench in the system that's going to make you go till midnight. But from what I can tell, I, I have all these terrible or just like late experiences of regionals, but I just really haven't played much of them in the modern area. So really, maybe they are a lot better than I give them credit for than, than they were when I was playing. Um, my favorite regionals, I'm, I'll maybe come up with something better. I'm going to go with Dallas for the, well... That's what I was going to say, too. I think like there's a lot of aspects of the Dallas Regional that are really nice. I think I've been twice. Just the fact that it's right there at the airport is really sweet. Like you don't have to worry about an Uber or renting a car or anything like that. Once you get off, it's just there. You can just stay in the hotel. It also makes it feel um it's just easier to like hang out with people because you're kind of all staying in the same hotel almost for sure. I mean, obviously some people don't, but very um, few people don't stay in that hotel. <laughs> yeah. And so like, if you want to, you know, get drinks or go to dinner with people, it's really easy to just meet up with them and hang out either in the room or down in the, the restaurant area. Um, yeah. That, that is, of the last like three or four years that ha those have been the, the probably the two funnest regionals that I've been to. There's no question um, Dallas is a really well-run tournament, too. Like, Yeah, yeah, that's true. It is it is like run really crisply. They do a great job of like saying, hey, we're also going to do... like They had cosplay events in the last couple of years. I remember when they had the Wasi come. I, mean, I, I tell a story all the time. Was it two years ago where they had... They were running a game show where they got like juniors up on stage and they like lined up like six juniors and the Wasi was asking them questions about Pokemon. And the juniors had to like try to, you know, answer the question. And like 
my reaction to that was like the was a the was was born to do that like he was i've never seen someone more excited to host a game show than i've made up 20 questions about pokemon characteristics you have to guess which pokemon i'm describing like that's so in his wheelhouse. <laughs> there may be nothing in anyone else's wheelhouse ever that's more in their wheelhouse than that was his. And the fact that they would just do that, it's nice. It was really nice. They cut away from the stream to show that on their like Twitch channel, and that was a terrible idea. But, <laughs> but, like, but it was really good. It was a really good idea, and I appreciate that. You know, obviously, as somebody who goes to lots of tournaments, and is almost never involved in judging or organizing except when I'm commentating and stuff. I will say, I don't know if you guys have been to Madison. Madison's delightful. Mm-hmm. I would never have gone to Madison if it weren't for Pokemon, and Madison's a great place to visit. That's the one I was blanking on, I think. Madison Madison rules, and that's, that's my exact same story, too. I would, would never have gone there, have only been there for Pokemon. Sorry, Kyle. I guess I'm sure it's a good state otherwise, but yeah, it's such a, it's a really good location. You're just kind of in the, the square in this yeah, the nice convention center is right on the water. The city hall is beautiful. The restaurant scene around the city hall is beautiful. Super, yeah, super nice. That's actually my favorite one. I forget too. I've just haven't been in a couple of years, but the, it always just ended up being like a big one for the Hovercats for whatever reason. I think just a Midwest kind of collection of players, a Midwest regionals. And so that would just always be a one where like you would see a lot of people. It would always be, it always kind of landed in the summer too, for whatever yeah, reason. It like tended, tends to be towards the very end of the season, like right yeah. before nationals. Um, so there's always like, I don't know. I just have, I've only went, I found twice, I think. And I just have a good memory of driving there one of those times and just ended up being one of those like schools over, just about to be over. It's summer, good weather, Madison tournament, boom. Yeah. I feel like it was like mid June, two years ago. And like, it was just the, the weather was perfect for sitting outside and eating. And like everybody was uh, dining al fresco at uh, absolutely fantastic uh, situation. I also like Toronto. Um, the last time I went, it was just me and Liam and he had never been to uh, Toronto before. And they had stopped. I mean, I wish I had gone to the tournament when they were hosting it in downtown Toronto. They were hosting it out in the suburbs, but we stayed in a hotel downtown because I'd been to Toronto before and I know Downtown Toronto is totally awesome. It's been a really nice time. You had poutine. <laughs> I never I never went to, I guess most of these were back when there was only one regionals a year, but they're, the California regionals always used to be on the Queen Mary. There's that big, the big ship in California. I always thought that sounded like a fun time. And then I don't know if you went to this one, Mikey, um, but I think it was 2013. The New England regionals was just at Craft Stadium, right? The Oh, yeah. I didn't go to that. Gillette. I didn't go to that. I didn't go to that one. I wasn't really playing that year. Yeah, I, did, I didn't either, but I was just trying to think of some like other. That's a that's a good cool. call, though, because every time you go to like a tournament in the Northeast, you, you talk to like these old timers, whatever, Frank Diaz or whatever, and they tell you about how you know, back in the day, we went to awesome tournaments at places yeah. like football stadiums. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, we missed out. Yeah. I really did like when they did Philly regionals at the convention center in downtown Philly. That was really fun. As soon as they moved it outside of the convention center, it was not quite as good. I guess they, they've they had it 
two times, not like in downtown Philly. At the Oaks. They did at Oaks once. They did it, and then they did it in like Lancaster. Oh yeah, yeah. They <laughs> they one did time. the one out in Bluebell, right? Yeah, yeah but the, but when it was at the Philly Convention Center, it's so great because you could go to Reading Terminal Market, and that was like that's amazing. <laughs> true, true story for for people unfamiliar with Philadelphia history. When they built the Philadelphia Convention Center, they built it where they built it because they wanted conventioners to go to Reading Terminal Market for lunch because they thought that would make them love Philadelphia, and yeah. they're not wrong. Yeah, they're not wrong. <laughs> I, Reading Terminal Market is like the best thing about Philly. Okay, what, what, one more thing on this before we move on. So the funniest thing, um, if you guys know, Brent, you know Spencer now, um, but Brent, I don't know if you know Spencer, um, but I remember going with him. I had already been to Reading Terminal at some point and he had never been. So we went there for Philly Regionals one time and he walks in and we're walking around for a few minutes and he goes, you know, Mikey, this would be a great place to take someone for a first date. And I was like, that's a weird thing to say. Why? And he's like, well, if the girl can't find anything to eat here, not worth dating her. <laughs> and I was like, that is so funny, but a uh, good, good call, I guess. Like there's just so many options. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. Yeah. Well, and if she can't appreciate like, like it's a self-contained date because there's like millions of places to shop, millions of mm-hmm. like foods to try and stuff. Like it's, it's the whole package. It's yeah. the whole package. The the problem is if I'm missing out, should I go to Philly one of these days? Oh my God. You totally should. Totally should. Red internal market is, is all the sales that you need. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. What's the last question? Um, And the last question, and and this is an easy one guys. And why do you always edit out Mike saying Picaram fully? Like it always comes out as just Picarer and cuts to the rest of the sentence a little. I will tell you why that's on me. This is great feedback for the pod. I had noticed that happening like, I don't know, two, three months ago. And I I thought that it was happening less. And hearing you say that it's happening means I'm going to change how I do my thing. But here's true story. So I use this software called Descript to edit the pod. And the way this Descript thing works is um, this is like super fantastic new technology. And shout out to Spark Capital. Spark Capital is an investor in Descript, and one of the partner that invested in Descript is Nabil Hyatt, friend of the pod and a parent of Pokemon players. And so, so the way this Descript software, so he's the guy who kind of got me on this, but the way this Descript software works is you upload your audio file, and then they have this like AI transcription software that transcribes the whole pod. And it is very good, except at Pokemon names. And it has a number of things that make it really, really easy to edit a pod. Like, so when you listen to it, you, it, it like essentially follows along with the transcription because it generated the transcription from the audio file, right? So it shows you like essentially like a word document where it's highlighting words as you're listening to the pod when you're editing the pod. So I had to play the pod at like one and a half speed and watch the, the transcript roll by and then anytime I'm talking, pretty much I delete it because I figure anything I'm saying isn't that interesting. <laughs> so um, then they have a button that you can press that deletes all of the excess space. So it says if there's more than a one second pause and we have lots of awkward pauses in the pod, it'll automatically edit those awkward pauses down to one second. Delightful. Yeah. And so, so our transitions that seem super seamless when you guys listen, the awkward pause that uh, facilitates the transition since I'm an awkward person, like, we fix we, that all gets cleaned up in post-processing 
And then the other button has is it will automatically find all of the ums and delete them. Uh, and so it's mistaking um as um. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mike, has, Mike has demonstrated his data science skills. Yeah. So the thing that the Descript software does incredibly badly is understand the names of Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> so every time we say Pikaram, about like, so what's interesting is when you say it, it happens when Mike says it, I hear that because like, I felt like things were a little bit better and I kind of went back to using the um deletion because what's funny is when you, the system will tell you because it wants you to like use the product that we have like 600 ums per broadcast because I say um all the time and the thing goes through and cleans it all up. So theoretically, that's really nice, except when it thinks that we said picarum <laughs> and then it proceeds to kind of chop it up into a choppy thing. I've noticed it doing that. And I thought that we had kind of, they'd improved the software a little bit. We'd gotten past that. I will stop deleting the ums. And unfortunately, that makes the podcast about two minutes longer because <laughs> I personally, I am really the problem when you listen to the pod. It's uh, it's stunning, especially because they're transcribing all the um. So it just slaps me in the face and it makes me want to press the button so bad. But but I will not press the button in, in recognition of this comment because it, it's very constructive. Well, the other the other option is I can just start saying like really enunciate on the peak of Rom. Like you know what? It'll be interesting and, and I can report back next pod when we listen to this portion and see if that got transcribed better than other ones. All right. Well, uh, you I'll, know, I'll give I'll give you some test cases during this podcast today. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> More excited Mike Fouché results in in different transcription outcomes. <laughs> so, Skinny Pepper, super appreciate the feedback and super appreciate the questions. You know how to do reviews correctly. That was a fantastic review. That's exactly the kind of review we're looking for. All right. Last review. Three reviews this week. Jeez. Kevin Rise via Apple Podcast Canada. As you guys know. The Canadians are a big fan of the pod. We appreciate the Canadians leaving a podcast review. Hey, fellas, love the pod. Congrats to Mike on his Players' Cup 3 run. Shout out for one of those Canadians helping push you guys up the charts here in the north. As a relatively new but dedicated Poke Dad, you guys have helped me and my LMZ dogs not only up our game to hang in with my 11-year-old and his 432 spirit capes, but also take the next step to playing more competitively at our local card shop. Shout out to the awesome Deck Box in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Looking forward to catching up with you guys in my AirPods every Thursday after dark when I'm out for my evening stroll. Actually, I haven't looked forward to anything this much since running home from school to check the mail for the latest issue of Quest Busters in the 80s. <laughs> Keep up the perfect attendance and the best Pokemon content around, and we Canadians will be there with you guys. Cheers from the Atlantic bubble. Kevin Rice, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Wow, that was such a nice review. I wanted to give the shout out. Griffin plays four tool scrappers. That just goes to show that like when you're playing LMZ, you end up in like this circular meadow where you're just like hard countering LMZ. Yeah. Four yeah. scrappers is vicious. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a senior meta game for sure. <laughs> a junior meta game. I gotta beat the mirror. <laughs> no goggles for you. <laughs> Griffin, we respect hard countering your dad. Always great to hear Pokedads listening. We're, we're pro Pokedads here. Um, uh, let's talk about Channel Fireball's on fire tweet of the week. Sander with some, bringing some fierce uh, tweeting. Yeah, he 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 posted and he was like, well, I, let, "Let me let me let me just pull it up because it was it was so innocuous." Um, 
Yeah, it's okay. Chinchino versus Pidgeotto control, read. And then it's obviously a tweet longer, which is fine. But I figured like when I clicked on it, it would be like, you know, two paragraphs or so. But nope, it's like it's like a full article. Yeah, on, it's like it's uh, like six prizes in, yeah. in a tweet. Yeah. Um, and it's cool. Um, and it goes very much into detail on a lot of the benefits of one versus the other. I would say some of it's a little obvious to me. Like it's a lot of um it's a lot of how do I say putting kind of like a quantitative measure on intuition, which I guess is what math is in general. It's just kind of like quantifying intuition. Um, but like the idea that an extra Pidgeotto would maintain, like uh, basically his main, his main, one of his main points, for example, is um, a second or third Chinchino is not worth as much as the first Chinchino. Like it, your, your spike is much higher when you go from zero to one than from one to two, and especially from two to three, the utility drops off quite a lot. Um, whereas a Pidgeotto, um, all three uh, are equally as valuable. Right. I mean, well, you know, what's interesting to me is like, I felt like in my fooling around with like um, Urshifu and just a little bit of like Excadural control, I felt like the problem with playing Pidgeotto is uh, if I didn't have three set up, I just don't know if I could be happy. It's sad. But the the thing that like really jumped out to me that, that deserves some recognition, and I recognize Sanders had the on-fire tweet of the week many weeks. Sanders' Twitter is absolutely on fire. Like, so he started tweeting. His first tweet was like October, October 7th, 2020 was when he first started tweeting. Like, and his Twitter, like if, if people in Pokemon are not following him on Twitter, I don't know what they're doing. Cause like, there's probably, there's, there's many, many good Twitter accounts to follow for Pokemon, but I don't think any of them are better. Yeah, how do we get, how do we sort of finagle, we need to get Xander to teach that, that A-Drive guy how to play control. <laughs> we need to sort of co- collaborate them together and get the community working, the TCG community working with the like at-large Pokemon community. This way we'll... <clears throat> yeah, I, know, I, I feel like it's interesting. I feel the, like the, the, the tweets about A-Drive in the last like two or three days have kind of come full circle where people are like, why aren't we nicer to people who are just coming into the Pokemon community? Did you have that reaction at all, Brett? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's always so like, I don't know, like it It just doesn't matter what actually happens. Like people are going to believe what they want to believe, I guess. And so like, you know, it's like on one hand, I, I do understand and do feel like the community was like right to sort of like, like, no control is fine like it's just part of the game you don't need to think about it this way but then if you if you like went through the comments of any of that stuff you get his fans or however however you want to put it being like man just no just ignore that the tcg community is the toxic one you know and it's just like that's just gonna happen no matter what right um but yeah i think there's a, a healthy way to play decks that are frustrating and like if you don't I don't know if that's just like the end of the game for you. If you can't enjoy a game where these alternative strategies are possible, then chess? Like, as I'm always saying, just like, there there are other games. There is, like Mikey says too, like last week when we were talking about, like, if you're already tired of the format, it, it might be a little too late. Like, there's other games. I, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, I know how like people say, like, they're not wrong when they say, hey, lots of, um, you know, important, quote, important air quotes, people in the communities talk about how they hate control all the time. Mike was saying he doesn't like to play control decks on the Illhorn just the other day. Like, I hear all that. I, and I also recognize, like, part of the weirdness is new people in the community don't typically have such a big platform to just, like, throw out uninformed opinions. But, but, but like, that's part of content creation, man. Content creating is weird. I look forward yeah. to us running out of takes and it's just, like, throwing out random hot takes on stuff we know nothing about. People love that. Let's see. Let's talk about, um, yeah, so, so two more things I wanted to talk about before we jump into decks and games and outcomes and all these things. And we got, oh man, we got so much good stuff here. Um, I realized as I reflected on our last pod, what really, really, really gets my goat about Players Cup 3 and the decision they've made to not release results. And that's that like, there was no like strategizing or opinions or guessing like what's going to happen or how things are going to work out or anything like that. Like, you know, like, like uh, meta gaming for a tournament, people should like, you want the community to be chiming in with their hot takes. That's kind of lame. Yeah. And you can't do that at all. I think there's, so I, um, like you essentially had to lock in your deck and then play all your games before anybody else even could be like, Oh, Mike, that was really good. Here's what I think you should do next round. Like, right, right, right. Yeah, I had like a couple people that I was working with, but yeah, it's not really the same. I um, so on the Discord that we were all part of um, for the top sixteen, I was kind of able to connect with Jesse Hill. I think that's his last name. He's like the player Pokemon coordinator. coordinator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, really nice guy, and we kind of chat a little bit and. I told him at the end of the whole experience, I said, there is a number of things that we could discuss about what could be different, what could be better, you know, online tournaments, giving championship points, blah, blah. But just this specific tournament, the hundred percent biggest thing is doing the broadcast scheduling different um, for the, for the region finals is it's, it's especially egregious because 256 people played in the event and those 256 people know if they want to, they can look on the battle five bracket and see the four people that made it through. It's not hard. Um, so you're keeping this quote unquote secret for essentially no reason. Cause anybody, m- most people that want to know could find out. Um, and then it's not quite as bad for only 16 people, but it also kills so much hype for the event. Like, if you, uh, uh, like we saw I, this Rapid Strike Chinchino deck, right? Come out um, from a lot of the European players. You can, if you know that Tord is playing the event and you know that Tord works with these people, you can probably like, you can probably ascertain that there's a high probability that Tord played this deck in Players Cup 3. And, but how cool would it have been if, you know, that wasn't, that was the very first time that you saw that deck. And this is just like, like now, if Tor did play that deck, we're going to be like, oh, that deck came out two weeks ago. Who cares? Right, right. It's like, it's a little bit anticlimactic because, I mean, I think part of what made like Worlds and the Intercontinental so interesting was it was, you saw the best players playing a new format 
And the result was like the decks that did well were like meta defining. And yeah. now, I mean, because there's 10 tournaments a week, it's like, no matter what happens, there's going to be an element of old news to it. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, all the lists that did well or all the lists that everybody played and, and or did well are all obsolete by the time that the tournament airs. Like you see if people played Picaram, um, in, in, top 16 they probably didn't play the same list that sosa used yesterday to win the event um so yeah it's just it's really unfortunate in that way yeah um another thing i i saw a tweet earlier today about it i thought it was worth mentioning for 30 seconds the players cup trophies look amazing yeah uh, um hopefully what pokemon takes away from this is like i assume that the, the cost of like uh, a trophy like that is frankly not dramatically more than the cost of like you know the nice pieces of uh, crystal that they're given out at regionals Dude, they should give out trophies like that i feel like a trophy like that markets the business man when i when i see that on like zach's shelf behind him when he's streaming online i'm like that people want to get that look at that thing <laughs> whereas when i see sosa's absolute stack of like crystal tablets i'm like mm. i mean <laughs> it's a big stack but like I don't think any. I don't think any kid sees that and says, "I gotta get me one of those." <laughs> a whole lot of coasters. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I, yeah, I feel like I'm sure. I mean, you guys must have an absolute boatload of these. I know I have an absolute boatload from like cities, blah blah. Like, there's a there's just a big pile of those somewhere in my house. I don't think they're even on display anymore. We talked about this so a couple of weeks ago. I think I sold. I I. I have a handful, like I kept like one win from each year. And then the, those are the few trophies I have that matter. I kept those, but basically couldn't give away the city's one. I think <laughs> I, I don't remember how much I was selling them for. Like even maybe at like $20 a piece, I feel like I was, I was a steal. I made a couple hundred dollars. I don't know how much I got ripped off or not, or if they were really, like, could did the person who buy them from me, or are they really able to resell them again? Yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical, but I, I've never, I have not once regretted my decision to clear up some space. All right, let's let's talk about the team challenge. Stunning turn of events. You know, yeah. Stunning turn of events. So yeah, Jane, I, after I spent yeah. all last week hyping the inevitable victory of how like Maplewood couldn't possibly lose because they got to play nine games and only had to win five of them. So I think. Well, I'll give you the recap and then yeah. I I think ultimately it's the reason is a bit of complacency. But so so here's the recap. So we brought ADPZ and Pikaram again. And actually we brought the exact same lineup. So ADPZ, Pikaram, but then Kettler and I talked a bunch about if we wanted to switch decks, but ultimately Kettler stuck with Mad Party. I stuck with Urshifu. We changed all the lists, a couple cards, but more all the same decks. Our opponents brought Tempozard, Sentiscorch, Dragapult, Urshifu, and Decidueye. So they ended up sitting there. Sentiscorch, we sat, or I actually sat out with the Urshifu. Um, we didn't really have any, none of our decks had any techs for Decidueye. So that beat our Picaram, that beat our ADPZ, and then the Mad Party beat Decidueye, which makes sense. Wait, were you guys playing the double Mawile in ADP? Nope. Just one mile. Yeah, no, yeah. So you're really, really not. not yeah. Uh, okay. Yep. So Decidueye got 
two wins on us. Then the Tempozard lost to Picaram, lost to Mad Party. And then essentially the deciding game was Tempozard versus ADP, which we ended up losing. I'll come back to that. And then there was Dragapult Urshifu, which had lost to ADP, which kind of makes sense, but then has very good matchup against Picaram, very good matchup against Mad Party, and won both of those. Justin almost won the Picaram set, but Kettler didn't really have a chance with Mad Party versus it. So like, so essentially Decidueye and Dragapult Urshifu both had like two very was, good- was, Were you playing the Mew and Mad Party? Yeah, but Dragapult is really more the issue. Yeah. Yeah, because it just- Right, right. Just, just tells you how you play it. It doesn't change the outcome. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Um, and so, so really the only like, a lot of the matchups were pretty polarized. Like we had pretty strong positive matchups or strong negative matchups. And then the ADP versus Tempozard was really the, the one matchup that was really close. And both games, both games, AD, we went first with ADP and they got a turn one Reshizard, either knockout or hit our ADP and just didn't miss a beat. We, yeah, it was just really, that was really unfortunate. So we ended up losing 5-4. I do think... We could have probably been when I said so. So when I said maybe we got a little bit complacent, we kind of just decided week in week out that we're just going to bring like the best decks: ADP, Pikaram, Urshifu, and in this case, we brought Mad Party. Um, and maybe we should have been a little bit more creative. I think we we kind of relied on our I don't know if relying on our like inherent skill with the good decks was necessarily the right move. We could have maybe been a little bit a little bit more creative. So like I I saw that Lydia, I think her name is L- Limitless Lydia. Right. Her team lost this week because her opponents brought three Decidueyes. And th- I think there's just probably interesting strategies that we should have considered maybe a little bit more. Even our opponents this week, like Dragapult Urshifu is not really a great deck in my opinion, but it's... In a format like this, it can grab some really positive matchups. So it's a little bit riskier, but like if you hit the mat, like if you play against Eternatus or Picaram or, or whatnot, you're going to have a good time. Um, Decidueye, obviously, kind of the same boat. So maybe maybe we should have been a little bit riskier. I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it, but it occurred to me as you were telling your story that like from a strategy perspective, it, it almost seems like insane to not bring Decidueye as a fourth deck. Because you get to look at their deck list and decide if you want to play it. Right, 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 right. So, so like, if you don't assume the other team is going to bring a decision, then you're just going to, like, you take massive L's. I mean, you guys took three losses to that deck. Like, that was that was really what broke you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, we didn't bring Urshifu because of the decision, or partially because the decision matchup. And then, yeah, two of our other decks just took L's to it. And yeah. the first couple of weeks, we did bring counters. Like, our ADP played Nadia Slash... And um, I think I played Phoebe in my Urshifu the week before. And for, for some reason this week, we're like, ah, they're not going to bring Decidueye. Nobody's brought Decidueye against us. And then... Uh, right, right. Well, and the funny thing is, it's because when you play the counters, they don't play it. Yeah. And if you don't play the counters, they play it, right? Yeah. Like that's... I mean, they had brought Decidueye and they just didn't bring it the prior week, right? Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It seems like, yeah, I feel like that's the only thing that I've really, really, really feel like I might've picked up is like, 
you should play Decidueye as one of your four decks because, like, if they don't counter it, they just take Mad Elves. Yeah. And if they do counter it, you're like, well, that's fine. We weren't going to play it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, like, I think to your point, it's a super, it's probably the most polarized deck. And that, like, the, the outcome is, like, totally binary. If they countered it, they're going to beat you. And if they didn't counter it, they're going to lose. And you can just look at their deck and know, will I go, you know, 2-1 with this, 0-3 with this, 3-0 with this? Like, you yeah. already know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is which is kind of nice in some way, in a lot of ways, yeah. Right. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, so we're out. Unfortunate. But good luck to the rest of the teams are still playing. I think now it's top 32. I think we lost in 64. So, so do we have a favorite at this point? I feel like I feel like Zach Lesage's team is the only team that I know that is still in it. Yeah, yeah the Schmansky was... team also lost. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like I feel like Chris should have joined the Schmansky team. Just I think he's the TO. <laughs> oh, is he? Yeah, yeah I think so. They run their league in their house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like much like the Cracklers, we have enough players to just be able to go it alone. <laughs> So, yeah, do we know any other teams besides uh, Zach's? No, but if you're still playing, tweet at us and tweet us all about how good your team is and we'll talk you up on the next episode. I'd like I'd like to get a better rundown of the top eight or top 16, whenever, because I think it looked like TPCI was going to cover the end of it wherever, yeah, whenever they so. start. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I would love to know a little more and as mikey was saying i'm not sure if this is like the best format for it but the key the 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 the, the team format was very gameable and i don't i don't think any of the teams really thought about it enough and maybe that will happen for the next one like again i think the problem is just that we can't select our team so that makes it just harder to do this other work already but yeah i definitely think there was like some good strategies that no one came up with and maybe if it gets adjusted like we can ban a deck as opposed to just like getting to choose one out like we'll have a little more freedom with how that works but yeah i you know brit you were i think you were at the bleeding edge of like we should bring four altarius <laughs> it's a good strategy i just think too like in the, my, mikey in a week two i think it was had to play against like all adp like all of those strategies are good to me i think Especially now, too, I think. I don't know if we'll really dive into it all that much today, but this Battle Styles format, I think, is the best one that I've played since starting back. I'm not too sure about that one that was pre-rotation because it kind of just had that one big tournament and then we immediately rotated. But, like, in this year or so, since I've been started, I, like... There's a lot of decks right now, and I, I think they're all like I would I think about four or five of them are the best deck, depending on depending on the day and depending on the metagame. And below that, I think there's more like mid mid-tier decks than before, too. You've got like Orbital seems okay enough. Dragapult Urshifu, Dragapult decks. Like there's a lot of variety right now. Even the like single strike deck is like good enough to be a mid-tier deck i think for sure it's good enough to compete um which i think says a lot and so I, with that being the case i think like that lends itself to these these harder formats to figure out especially in the the team the team format yeah it's a lot of a lot of weaknesses and i don't think like i, I worry that it's just gonna it'll eventually just 
be solved to the point where it's just kind of rock paper scissors like that's where that's where i worry we're headed but for the moment i'm re- i'm i'm optimistic about the game like sure like your complaints about how the games themselves go aren't going to be solved at all that'll be maybe what we can handle that after rotation but in terms of what i just think is viable or not it, i think it's relatively a good place to be right now like i'm choose we've got players cup four on the horizon there's no just like clear deck you want to just grind with the whole time and that will make qualifying harder i would think a lot of players like to just try to grind through one deck but it doesn't seem like anything is like that well positioned other than i guess adp and chrysephalon are pretty even against everything mm-hmm. so can we talk about the the best deck in format forever peek around for a second <laughs> yeah i mean while we're talking about the metagame might as well yeah so so I mean, Pika Ram just won a like big tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, can someone uh, explain to me what this means? <laughs> so well, first Israel, of all, good job. Yeah, Israel Sosa winning winning the big event tells me that the format's pretty skillful. You look at that top eight as well. There's a lot of the players are some of the players that have been very successful in the either the online format or previously um so i think like eddie got top four josh sutherland got top four the second place was anti who i think is logan from canada so just like people that are people that have been very consistently successful so i feel like the formats kind of like brit said it's in a pretty good place peaker i'm winning so so only played against one urshifu i think the whole tournament so that's part of it I don't think Urshifu had a very good showing in general during the event. So, you know, the better that you were doing in the event, the less like you were to play in Urshifu. That's part of it as well. But he beat the one Urshifu that he played because he did play one Stealthy Hood. And so I did, I watched a little bit of his stream. I think I saw some of, I think I saw one of the games that he played against the Urshifu. And you don't necessarily need to kill the Mimikyu if you play the Hood, which is pretty nice. So I think going forward, I haven't played any games with, with Stealthy Hood, but it's team solid. Play one of, you just try and... I was going to say, I, I, but I assume you're about to sit down and play a dozen because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eagle yeah. viable in this format? Yeah. So the, I, think, I think the general strategy is to take one prize on either like a Drachi. Maybe you do kill the Mimikyu. You're able to like boss it up. That's like, oh, that's like the ideal scenario. You're able to boss up the Mimikyu and kill it early on. Then they'll have to play down the Drachi GX, which you can kill either with a Boltend or maybe a Tandem Shock and Raichu. Or with the Mewtwo, if you're able to attack with the Mewtwo, you get find Hood early. I mean, if you find Hood early, you're like you're in a great spot, or maybe you tag switch onto a Mewtwo that doesn't have counters, something like that. So you kill one prize, you kill Jirachi, and then you have the Hood as like a backup to go on a Mewtwo. For sure, it's safe, and then you tag Bolt a VMAX to, to knock it out. So I think that that's like your path to six prizes. I theorized before last weekend and I played in the, well, so I played in the chill event last Wednesday and I tried Zapdos, which was not very good. Um, but I theorized a list after that and I didn't really get to play with it of just running four Bolton, four bosses order um, to kind of go th- this route of like, use a Bolton to kill a Mimikyu, use a Bolton to 
kill the Jirachi GX, and then your Mewtwo is free to tag Volta VMAX. So similar, um, similar strategy, I guess, of taking six prizes, but maybe the hood is just a little bit better in the matchup than either fourth boss or, or fourth Bolton. The benefit of Bolton, fourth Bolton, fourth boss is those are just good cards that are really good in, in every other matchup as well. Right. The, other, the other card that is uh, pretty good in the matchup is Big Charm because it prevents like uh, the Urshifu from going 150, 120. Um, but so in, in, in six of one, half dozen of the other, if you're dealing with the Urshifu matchup in some way that brings the percentage even to like 50, 50, that's good enough. Cause Pikaram is just very good against everything else except Eternatus. And you still have your crushing armor package to uh, make that matchup pretty close as well. But Pikaram is really the only deck one of the only decks that still has a very solid ADP matchup, um, has great fire matchups. And so it's pretty well positioned outside of their Shifu. So if you're making Urshifu a close matchup, it's great. I saw I saw Zach Lesage win a tournament today playing ADP Hammers. And I watched like one or two of his games. The thing that really jumped out to me was I guess I had, I was not really as aware as maybe I should have been of how much better Escape Rope made ADP. Mm. Like yeah. every time he played Escape Rope, uh, I mean, because ADP is so fast and so aggressive, it was coming down early and the guy was like, so I have a choice. I can either send up this Day-Day or Crobat or I can send up this thing that I'm trying to power up right now. Right, right, right. And like, I felt like 50% of the guy time, the guy chose wrong. I mean, but, but like, there were no good answers. Yeah, I played, so I played, uh, might be a good point to talk about this now. I played LMZ in the GG Tour over the weekend. I lost my win in it, and I played against a ton of ADP, and the ADP that finally beat me was this a four escape where I've won, and I just like, and LMZ, you don't have any Pokemon to begin with, so it's really hard to play around, and I just got, there was nothing I could do. I just got like, in game, I made like a very small mistake that I think, I might have been able to win the game still if I had I just kind of had an arbitrary tag call that I played to thin my deck and if I had just like taken taken Alana and I, instead of like what I took I like it would have maybe mattered like two turns later and I my opponent just like got a three energy station out of nowhere with the sword game three on turn two and swept me but most of it was because of the ropes. I just, it was too hard to play against. It makes me worry about playing LMZ if L, if the ADP lists settle on four ropes, which I don't think they have. Like I said, I beat every ADP that I played, but this one. And the one I lost to played four and no switch. And all the ones that I was beating was playing the hybrid. Yeah, That's like me, I just felt like watching him, I was like, you okay, so you want to bench something that you can sacrifice if he escapes ropes. Like there's not a lot of decks that feel like they have the bench space and the chillness to be able to do that, except for something like Eternatus, where you're like, "Oh, bench is a Veltal, and if he escape ropes, I'll punish him for it." Mm-hmm. Like, who does that? You know? Yeah. I mean, maybe Urshifu would be okay because you'd be like, "Well, I'll bench this Mimikyu," but like, then if if you don't need the Mimikyu, you're just filling bench slots, right? Yep. yep, exactly. And you're like, "I needed that bench slot to set up like other stuff, man." It's uh, it was uh, it was interesting to me to watch, and I felt like I learned a little something there. Yep. So so what what deck? What's the next deck to play? Assuming you're not just playing Pokemon to, or Pikaram to find out if Pikaram is good with a stealthy hood, 
guys. Like, what's the best deck in format now? Uh, what should people I would, play? I would play. I, I want to spend some more time on um, Chrysephalon Tempest Art. I think is the deck I would play next. I've I've got enough. Exp- I played with a lot this last week of Rapid Strike Urshifu. Um, I'm not sure why. I didn't really have an intention. I just wanted to be practicing with it, I guess. Um, so I feel good about that. Feel good about my ability to play Pika. And were you playing the Jirachi or the Chinchino or both? Just Jirachi. I, uh, before the podcast last week, I, I worked on Chinchino just to be able to talk about it without, I guess, lying about uh, about testing. Um, but I really haven't touched it since. And I've mostly just been playing around with um Mikey, the list Mikey tweeted about two weeks ago and just been messing with counts here and there. And like what I said several weeks ago, I, I've never quite gotten over. I just, I don't like the deck. It feels a little underwhelming to me most of the time, but there are games when you just hit 150 really, really fast every game and then snipe and it's really easy, but I just don't feel like it has a ton of options and awkward draws here and there, but I, Tempozard seems really good to me and just like it has great matchups. You don't have to worry about Decidueye. You've got a good, I mean, you don't have a good Pika matchup, but like you can win it. Your ADP matchup is pretty good. And like with Blacephalon, you just kind of can beat most of the, any of the tag team decks. And then hopefully your, your Reshazard can carry you the rest of the way. There's something I missed I when I was playing Christophalon like initially and I like, I don't know if it's just like being bad or not enough experience with the deck, but I just like sort of miss how often you don't like, I don't know. I just, I think had it in my head that I just like had to get a six energy Charizard um, mm. or else I wasn't doing what I was supposed to. And that's just not true. You get a lot of work done only using flare strike. You use two of them sometimes just like the, you know, about a year or two ago, I think that's how the format kind of went is you would power up one Charizard and then the second one would do the rest of the work rather than just trying to sweep with one. So I, I've had mixed feelings about Chris Uphelon, but I've just realized I was wrong. And I think just in my fairly limited playing with it, I just had the wrong game plan in mind. So I'd like to revisit it now that I'm thinking straight and hopefully just improving. In I my feel like there's practice. been a lot of, I feel like people have been, I've seen like, kind of like faux Crocephalon builds running around the last week where people are playing, uh, like they've actually cut the Blacephalon and they're playing like the Thin Victini VMAX line. Yeah, Mike's nodding, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you have strong opinions on how Victini fits into this list these days? I think cutting Blacephalon is like pretty, I don't know. I don't I don't really like that. Like Blacephalon just get off so often gets you your last two or three prizes. It's not like, it's not the main focus of the deck. And it, it, you can build your deck in this way that is more tempo for lack of a better word more toolboxy but you've but you sacrifice playing so many energy and getting so many energy in the discard um but that's where blissephon comes in later in the game where you play two or three fire crystals in a turn and, and just blow something up victini doesn't add it doesn't add anything different than what Reshizard and Cremorant do. Those are both more or less, you can either KO smaller things or two hit KO the big things. And Victini does the exact same thing. So it doesn't, that doesn't really make too much sense to me. If you're going to do like Victini with Blacephalon, I could see that. But, but like doing Victini with 
the Cramorant and Charizard, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, wasn't the list that made top eight in the GG Tour? It wasn't. It wasn't like that. It was just a more focused Victini list, right? Yeah, I think it was like Victini Mewtwo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Like we saw just the very the very few first days that the set came out. Stefan made sec got second place. I don't remember if it was an Atlas event or something else, but with like Chris Ephelon, but with Victini instead. And I think um, all of us just like. Mm, I don't know if that would work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also really like um, Temple's Art a lot too. The only the only thing about it is that there's really no room to like innovate within the deck. It's pretty much, there's like 58 cards that you have to play. And then the last two cards are like, do you play Pokemon Communication or Cherish Ball? And like, that's the only choice or like Pokegears, I guess. I don't know. There's very few decisions in, in the in the list making. You could run the deck like Ross has run it with only one Cramorant, one Reshizard and like energy spinners. But after playing a little bit of both versions, I, uh, I don't know. So there's not a whole lot there, but I do think the deck is very strong. It's something that I will probably play a solid amount of keys with. Because I think, like you said, it's pretty 50-50 against uh, most of the format. So, Mike, do you have an opinion on the, like, Jirachi build versus Chinchino build for Shifu's story? Um, I still haven't played, like, a, a ton with the Chinchino version. When I say I haven't played a ton, I've played probably 20, 25 games with Chinchino, but I feel like um, I've played over 50 with the Jirachi version, probably more than that. Yeah, I feel like the Jirachi version has all the momentum now. I just haven't played enough games with the Jirachi to, to know why. Yeah, I do think... Like I'm more and more as we see more events and I see, and as I do some games here and there with myself, I don't think that Chinchino version is as good. I think it, the real big difference is the lack of ability to use martial arts dojo. Like that is so, so, so big in helping your math and so many different matchups that I don't really, I don't really understand how it, the Chinchino build gets over not having it. And the other really big thing is I do think the Chinchino version is significantly weaker against ADP. And that's, I mean, it, I'm not, I don't want to say the Urshifu Jirachi version is super favored against ADP or anything. I think that's still a very close matchup, but the lack of aggression that the Chinchino version has just makes you fall behind against ADP almost all the time. And you rely, you rely on finding your Cheryl extremely early in the game, like as early as, turn two or turn three. And if you don't hit it, you immediately lose and have no chance of coming back. So I'd rather just go with this, the more aggressive route in that matchup most of the time. Guys, you want to talk about, so we, we have a bunch of kind of like non-standard format stuff on the list. Let's, uh, let's uh, hit it lightning style. You want to talk about expanded for a second, guys? I just think it sucks. Uh, I played in um, the limit list this past Friday. Maybe it's just that I really like the Mewtwo and Mew deck and I keep going back to it. And maybe it's just not very well positioned in the meta. And that's why I think this, but I played against two of the, the stall decks like Bunnelby, Snorlax and whatnot. And you just, it, the matchup is impossible to win. I tried, I tried one approach the first game. I tried a different approach the second game. And it's just impossible with Lucimine in the format because they play Power Pants, they play Fabas. So they're going to, they're going to either run you out of energy or run you out of stadiums 
or they have the Snorlax and can trap something. So you just, it's, it's way too hard. So I feel like anything with special energy can never, ever, ever beat those decks. So um, that's a large part of why I was frustrated. If the only way to keep up with stall is to play like a big basic, big basic energy deck, I feel like it's still too strong and there's cards that you can ban. Um, and we were just uh, kind of just talking in our group chat a little bit about expand would be really cool if they banned like 40 or 50 cards. <laughs> um, I know you had that tweet where you, you offered up like a, a starting point that was like 15 cards. Yeah. I, I don't remember all of them, but you know, execute, I think is obvious. Um, Lusamine should be banned again. Some of the less obvious ones, I think Max Potion and Acerola are probably too strong with the VMAX decks now. Sh Cheryl is probably okay because it's a, it's a supporter in discards, but like Max Potion being an item and Acerola conserving your energy is probably just too much. Um, things like Hanshko GX, things like Ace Trainer are just too so, so, so disruptive and, and a little bit too much. I think Skyfield should probably just go. I mean, I know we have Sudowoodo as a counter, but like if you ban Skyfield, then a deck like Turbo Dark gets significantly weaker and you know i think i like i'm trying to hit all of these like huge archetypes without trying with without leaving any of them untouched so like even like tina chomp you could ban like the double dragon energy maybe if you ban that then adp doesn't need to be banned itself you probably should ban either rallet executor or the item lock vile plume ban bunnelby ban Faba because we have Zerostic, which does the same thing, but allows counterplay because of like things like special charge, like putting stuff into the law zone is, should be, I think a much more niche tool. So I don't mind something like there's that Tyranitar that when it KOs something, it sends things to the law zone or like Lugia GX's um, GX attack, sending something to the Lost Zone. Like you have to play a Lugia GX and the energy and you only get to use that once. But Faba is like pretty egregious because you get to use it with losing me in the format, you could use it infinitely amount of times. And it puts a, like runs your opponent out of resources in a way that they cannot play any cards to get them back, which is really like, I, I, I just don't like that. There's no counterplay at all. Like if I want to play my Mewtwo and Mew deck, I should be able to play two or three special charge and get those things back. I mean, I remember there were tournaments last year where Liam was playing um, like Pidgeotto and he was like, I giraffe rigged like 40 cards in the guy's deck. Yeah. What right, was he right, going right. to do? Like yeah. he, there was nothing to do. Yeah. Giraffe rig is probably, I don't even think I listed that one. That one should probably be gone too. Um, especially in a format that has VS Seeker and it, that's like the, one of the huge draws of Expanded is like being able to play a lot of interesting supporters with VS Seeker and Giraffery kind of like completely nullifies that as a uh, viable strategy. So yeah, I don't know. There's just so many cards that were never intended to interact with other cards that I feel like they, they could hit a huge reset and might actually be a cool format. I know, I know a lot of people disagree with me and they think Expanded is fun, but whatever. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why someone wouldn't play Control in Expanded. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of it hard. could be fun and bad at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's true. That's true. It could be fun and bad. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. how it is. I mean, it, you know, any deck where your starting list is like two bundlebees, you're like, okay, well, this is going to be 
horrible <laughs> and fun. <laughs> yeah. I miss it's it's unfortunate how the I guess just arms race against control has evolved and expanded. I was reminiscing on Yes, the the yesteryears where it was just enough. It's like I'll just play my own Bunnelby, and that and that'll right, be right, enough. Right, like right. I, I can't remember how. <laughs> you know, frankly, that probably didn't work, but I don't know if it ever really came up. But I remember, like I know you you'd play it in the you you'd you could play Groud you could play Bunnelby in your Groudon deck, yeah. and you would win the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, like, Bunnelby was such a fun card. Bunnelby is the best card. Bunnelby is. We talk about favorite Pokemon. Bunnelby is like my favorite card because the optionality is insane. Yeah. Like, like when you get to when you get to choose to put a card into your deck or discard an opponent's like that's insane. <laughs> yeah. Now, like, play if you just play a Bunnelby in a random deck, that will literally do nothing against a control deck. Like, there's n- <laughs> <laughs> there's not fix your problems. Because yeah. because they're because they're uh, uh, law zoning every all the cards, so exactly. like Bunnelby doesn't fix it. Yeah, and like you ban Sableye, you ban Orangaroo, but you leave Bunnelby. Like I don't know, it doesn't make like either either keep them all or get rid of them all. Like I don't know, there's very there's very little difference between having Bunnelby versus Orangaroo. Expanded the card pool keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. People can find ways to make terrible decks. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that's the thing too. Leaving Bunnelby out is particularly egregious. But as I seem to say almost every time we talk about expanded, it's just like the the cards are not designed for expanded. That that this control deck is good and expanded is an accident. It is completely tangential to any anything, you know, anything in their design philosophy or, or what or what they, you know, are trying to do when they're printing cards, the metagames they're trying to cultivate and whatnot. And that's just like why expanded is a failure, I think, is because there's no this a, a bunnelby with just this random mechanic from the the Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire block is just like too good. Like it's just just like they just can't do that. Yeah, when, like, when they it, printed that card they weren't thinking, oh my God, this card's the most broken in the game. Right. <laughs> and like in, in magic and I don't I don't really think I know enough to quite speak as positively as I might. But I just, I just have to assume, have to hope that when there, when there is a control deck, these, these alternative win condition decks get printed. Like, there's just some real thought and in, put into it. And there's just like as Mikey's saying, there's just, it's not that there's no thought, but that that there's no answers either. It's because they're not, you know, they're not new cards. Don't come out to to soothe problems and expand it. Right. New cards just make the same problems worse and worse and worse. And I just like that's been the that's been true since day one of expanded. I think, and why I just like I'm I'll be happy to see it go. I'll be happy to see it stay with some massive changes. Like I'm I'm not trying to you know get us to a point where we only have standard. That's probably a little too boring. But I just it's just always something and it's it's always so much in the format the way the format itself is structured it has nothing to do with the cards and it just keeps happening again and again and again i just don't think we'll ever get to a good enough expanded until there's like a more consistency in the cards themselves and more consistency towards designing for an expanded space you know i was thinking i was thinking about this this week i recognize like there's company politics and stuff that goes on and there's like company cultures and challenges there. But I, I really, really hope that 
TPCI is able to figure out some way to involve the fact that they're bringing on like incredibly good Pokemon players onto the U.S. team to to somehow kind of like maybe get some more insight into how to solve this problem of like creating a nice like skill based format that is like well balanced. But like they've got Kyle, they got Kenny, they got Mia. Like they're you know I feel like increasingly you look at the U.S. team and you're like. I wouldn't want to play them in team challenge, but that, I mean, you'd like to think that some of that somehow filters back to Japanese card design at some point. I don't know, maybe it's a decade from now. And like you, you start to get like really, really thoughtful input there, but maybe. I feel like that opportunity exists. I mean, that's the biggest one, isn't it? Is that expanded doesn't play or Japan doesn't play expanded and Japan are the only one designing cards. So right. like, of course, it doesn't make any sense. Their design, their designs are never even asked to try to make them make sense. We just get we get to deal with the mess ourselves. And TPCI has has the unfortunate task of like, you know, trying to dig through the rubble and figure out how it's salvageable. So it's you know, not entirely their fault either. But again, what a disconnect! The 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 people that design the cards never have to think about this format it's a it's a western invention or what have you and like i just don't know it's That's just a really good point a disaster yeah. so the what, last thing i want to talk about was there was a, a sword and shield on tournament and mike won it playing yeah. inteleon i didn't see that coming man well i kind of so i think like brit messaged our group he's like i was gonna play in the sunday open but it's not happening so let's play in this I, i'm gonna play in the sword and shield on event now and i kind of had the same feeling waking up on sunday i was gonna play in sunday open try out pikaram but then it wasn't going on so i saw uh, it, it's like the azul mellow magic carp group carp carp and rats carp to rats whatever they have been doing monthly tournaments in different formats and so this month they did a sword and shield on tournament so um yeah i kind of just looked at i know i know pablo has been running his tablemon series in this format and so i just looked at the last two events i think the last two events both had battle styles legal and so i looked at all of those and i saw that all the decks that were doing well all required two attachments and um, so I was like, well, if I can prevent my opponent from having two energy on the field at any given time, I should just win the game, right? Um, so that was kind of my strategy going in. At first, I built like a Victini Hammers deck because I was like, okay, Victini hits really hard. Let's flip some heads on Crushing Hammer. And then I was like, well, Inteleon does this, um, doesn't quite hit as hard, but it you know, it, this strategy is really good um, with, with Inteleon's first attack. So there have been successful Inteleon decks in the Sword and Shield on format, but they all played, they all played Frostmoth as well. So it was like Inteleon VMAX, Inteleon the Stage 2, and then Frostmoth. So your focus was mostly on getting up um, Inteleon VMAX the second attack, the 160 attack. But I was like, well, that's stupid. Let's just not play Frostmoth. Let's play Crushing Hammers and Fan of Waves and use the first attack, make them not be able to attack while we power up the 160 attack. Um, we still played the Stage 2 Inteleon because it's really good to, uh, really good setup card as well as you can attack with it in this deck. There were some decks that even ran the Inteleon Stage 2 line when they didn't even run Water Energies. So that gives you an idea of just how strong it is for, for setup purposes. 
but the fact that we get to attack with it is super important. So generally the way that um, I would approach a game is I would use, I would attach like an energy to my first Inteleon VMAX and just kind of use that to do 60 and bounce energies. And then sometimes I would attach to that one to power up 160, or I might just start attaching to a bench VMAX. And then I would like attach, usually try to get in one attachment sometime to a, to a, a baby, I don't remember, Sobble and I don't remember the middle version, what it's called. Right. Um, but I would I, I would attach one energy to them. So at any point in the game, then I could go big in uh, you know stage two in Talion and then attack for one twenty. It was a, it was a nice little attacker. But yeah, so um, the strategy worked out pretty well. Um, I played played a lot of good matchups. Played against a bunch of a couple of Victinis. I was about to say, I assume you played a lot of fire decks. Yep, played a couple of Victinis in Swiss. I played against an Eternatus in Swiss. Both of those matchups, really straightforward, just kind of deny their energy attachment and eventually you get there. I took an ID against a Rapid Strike Urshifu and I played against two matchups I feel like I should have lost. One of them was the single strike Urshifu. They have the energy acceleration with Houndoom, but he was only able to get one Houndoom setup and I don't know, I just kind of like hit some hammers, damaged things enough and kind of like eked it out in a really close game. And then I played against the Mirror, but they had Frostmoth and I didn't have hammers. Big thing there, I went first, very huge. Very huge in this format is going going first. And again, it was kind of, kind of awkward. Um, I was able to bounce an energy here and there. They they like attacked me at a, not worth going into the details, but they attacked me at a weird time. Didn't force me to have boss. Um, then I made top cut. Uh, my top eight match was really hard against Urshifu. They're one, they're like the only deck in the format that can attack for one energy. So that matchup's hard, but very winnable as well. And won that in three games and then top four and, and the finals are really easy. Dragapult and Victini again. Um, Dragapult's especially easy. Because Victini at least can use its attack to accelerate energies. Um, but Dragapult has no, like, once you put them to zero energy, there is, like, they should never, ever, ever get two energy attachments down. So um, they were, we, both games, we kind of got into a loop where he would do 60, I would do 60 and bounce his energy. Then he would do 60, I would do 60, and eventually, like, I would just kill him. Right. Um, right. Eventually, you could go 160, and yeah, it, was, it wasn't ready. Yeah. Um, did you ever like, are there things you would change about your list? Like, I wondered whether or not you would ever run a yell grunt. Yeah. That's something that should probably be in the list. I don't really know immediately what I would drop, but yeah, yell grunt would make sense maybe over, um, fan of waves or something. I will say, say definitely big shout out to Brit for right before, like five minutes before the event, he's like, we should play that, uh, water energy search card. The bucket. I just asked, is that bucket legal? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so, like, last minute, we dropped the 11th water for that. And that came up multiple times because you can search for it with the the Inteleon guys. Right, right. Huge. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, the Yelgrunt's the only immediate thing that I probably would add. Uh, Cricketune is – I do want to say Cricketune's pretty sweet in this format. Um, The draw power is just a lot weaker. And there's no ADP, so right. You would play Oracorio if you could, right? 
Mm, I don't know. That's a good question. Because like your things aren't getting knocked out all that often. So yeah, like I was trying to look and, and trying to figure out how frequently I thought you could run your hand down enough to get value out of Cricket Tune. I mean, when you're playing stuff like the Capacious Bucket, I was like, ah, you know, I don't know that they're like running their hand down. And you you got you got like the stage two line. I was like, God, ah, did you get a lot of value out of it? I would say, yeah, I would say that I did. I would say the biggest thing is that it's really easy in this format to be susceptible to getting Marnade into a dead hand. And it's not that hard to play cards. Like you play a lot of items. So if you're Marnade into a dead hand, you don't have a supporter. And maybe you, so you either have energies, you have items, or you have Pokemon. And most of the Pokemon are immediately playable. And so, I don't know, Creek, cr Cricket two is good. Uh, I I was um, he overperformed. I mean, he he wasn't great. I don't want to say like he was the best thing ever, but like I thought he was going to be really bad, and he was pretty he was pretty okay. <laughs> he's better than probably he's probably better than a second Crobat. Man, I, every time every time people talk about Marnie and people in a dead hands, I wonder if like Marnie Marnie in my mind is an example of like one of the weird problems in this format, like. It's a skillless card to just play Marnie, 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 Marnie until their their hand sucks. Like it's a really good strategy, but yeah, like it's definitely how I won at least one of the games I shouldn't have won. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, heck, Mike, I know that's your go-to strategy. I mean, you're like, you know what I like about this deck? That is for Marnie. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like if people are gonna if they're gonna give us cards that allow you to just like, you know, hey, it doesn't matter if I'm going against the greatest Pokemon player on Earth, I can do this thing and he might just lose. Mm -hmm. that's freaking great right like uh, you know you'd be uh brain dead to not play it exactly. but what, what can you do i don't actually know like i'm i mean like is it actually worse because like it would st statistically like because i know like it just like it, it just talking about it like oh it sucks when i'm arnie they go straight to the bottom of the deck and of course i have no chance of drawing them again which is different than N or something like that, but I, I wonder how statistically different they are. Like, I would think for sure Marnie, Marnie's the worst card, but like, what are, what are the odds? And I guess it's it's two different cards too. So with an N to six, you know, turn one versus a Marnie to four, it's about a, you know, a third of a difference. So that's a big deal too. But I wonder just like how much of the like bad Marnie hands are from not shuffling or, you know, if that makes sense. Like, because I think that's, that's, so much of the problem is is that is that it's you know it doesn't especially when your hand is huge right and i guess when against huge hands like marnie seems like a, a more strat strategic card as a result but yeah i just it just seems like marnie shouldn't ruin as many games as it does is i guess what i'm saying like because judge yeah. didn't like judge wasn't this bad and judge shuffled. i don't know i mean pika judge was a thing like like i i think Judge was maybe underplayed relative to how good it turned out to be. Yeah, maybe. I think on average, you're probably right. So the only, but the only thing that I can think of that would make Marnie worse is, so let's say I, um, let's say I research, right? And I get, I draw seven cards. I can't play any of those supporters. So I might play some cards from my hand, but I can't play any of the supporters. So like if I, if I'm playing against people in an end format, I might, you know, quick ball away something or ultra ball away cards, but make sure that I keep all the supporters that I can such that if I get end, now I have a pretty good shot of drawing the supporters back. But we, with the Marty format, 
thinning cards doesn't matter at all because any of the supporters that I drew immediately go to the bottom. Um, and so it's not that thinning is like worse necessarily, but it, there's some, there's, there, there might be some, and this might be a stretch, but there might be some function of, of the supporters in my hand are unplayable and therefore are going to the bottom and unable to be drawn more frequently. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, the other thing I would say is, I mean, I know one of the things we always talked about when we were testing judge is, you know, the problem with judge is 50% of the time you're judging yourself. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. That, that fifth card is like, uh, it makes a difference. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. and kind of to your point, like you got to thin your hand, like you got to do whatever it is you were trying to do before you played it. Like you kind of controlled when it got played. But, you know, 25% more cards is, like, must make some statistical difference. I, I think, to your point, there's probably some way to measure it. And maybe it's not super significant. But, I, you know, the problem with Judge is you set yourself to four random cards. And you were always like, man. And, like, the odds that it worked out better for you than for them were, like, 50-50. Whereas yeah. with Marnie, like, 100% of the time, it worked out better for you. Right. right? right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, you got five cards, like the odds that you marnied yourself into an unplayable hand and they marnied, you know, and they got marnied into the nuts is like, wow, like that shouldn't happen. Yeah. And I think, I think that too is probably why I can't, I don't know enough about the Pika judge format since that was the little stretch when I wasn't around at all. Um, but I would think too, a lot of just why judge has never been so problematic is it's just so risky for yourself. You don't want to like, even with like Yen Mega Magna zone, these Yen Mega decks are the decks I associate the most with judge. And even them, it was like, you really didn't want to be playing the judge and, unless you already had a Magna zone out, like, cause you, you could just get screwed yourself or you could just yeah. immediately have to have to eke yourself right after. And so like, yeah, it was just, there's, there was a risk, a real risk to judge and there's, as you've just said, there's absolutely none. Tomorrow. Yeah, well, that, that's it. And the essence of Pika Judge was like, turn one, you go off, you you tapu Coco, you're you're gonna your your board state is like two tag teams, one fully powered up, and it's about to accelerate. And you're like, okay, if my hand's unplayable and their hand's unplayable, that's fine. Like I'm about to have six energies on the board, and and I control. Like, am I about to? you know, GX next turn or just have two GXs like powered up. Like you were driving the bus and you were like, if my hand's unplayable, it's fine. Uh, yeah, I was just going to attack the rest of the game. Guys, so Britt, what happened to you? So it sounded like you played Inteleon as well. Yeah, well, I can walk you through it. It was one of those, like, I have m maybe five, 10 seconds of just like, man my bad what's the problem because <laughs> because we talked a little bit about it before the bend but i like a few rounds in i was just looking at the meta game and i'm just like i'm pretty sure one of us will win like unless we just draw bad like this deck clearly is is well positioned um i went three and two i lost round one to a victini deck on just like some real best of one bad beats. Like I just, I had a bad opener. I had to research away to the Drizzile, I think it's the middle one. And I prized Bro. the third one and I, I researched into nothing, but like I had Sobbles and Incenses, but I, I, I had none of the evolutions to draw myself out of it. And then, so I played against four Victini and one single strike. And so I, I, I beat three Victini and then I lost to the single strike. And like Mikey says, I, it's, I don't think it's a good matchup, and they got three Houndoons out and beat me very easily. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Must be nice. Yeah, but I, I don't think I have enough. I just play against Victini. Um, but the deck, the deck definitely like was there to catch people off guard, and um, I did well. Like in the game, I lost against Victini too. I guess I'll tell the whole story. Um, so not only did I have those a bad opening of bad prizes, I, I missed the energy on the first turn, and it's still. Like, I, I still barely lost. Like, if, if the deck had played a Zigzagoon, I would have won, in fact. Um, but alas, oh well. So would you run the Zigzagoon, or would you just uh, draw better next time? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't matter if I was drawing better. I just had, had to do the 16 yeah. for 120. So it, it so right, right. has 310, so it was 120, 120, and then, and then I, I hit a fresh one for... Um, the knockout, and then that one then had three hundred damage uh, on it after I had, after I had finally gotten the the max bullet attack, and it was just it was too little, too late. Right, right. That's close. All right, guys. Uh, it sounds like it sounds like there's a, a Discord server that I'm not on that has all the secret decks. I think this pod was one of our longer ones, but I thought this was really good stuff. Mike, you were not lying. We uh, we had lots of content. Yeah, for sure. And then I guess next week we can, I think Players Cup 4 starts in like a week and a half or something like that. So we can really? talk. Oh gosh, I didn't know it was that soon. Yeah. I guess, I I'm, I guess I'm ready to play some keys. I got a lot to do. That, yeah. The, yeah, that's what I was thinking about. I was like, I was like, okay, if I'm going to try and like, you know, imagine rising up again, is, is the answer, is the answer Jirachi Urshifu? Mm. I don't know. I just feel worried about losing coin flips to ADP and they were hitting a psychic deck, hitting a, a dumb Mewtwo deck. I mean, I am I like going to play ADP again? Man, I played, I played, I played a lot of keys of ADP. I'm, I'm going to play Pika and Fire, I yeah, think. Pika and Tempos are seem probably what I'm going to spend most of the time with. Yeah. It's actually literally a week from today. So by the I feel like, I feel like Tempos are, is, is the only deck that's more non-linear than Pika. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> So 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 hard for uh, somebody like me to play. How good? I guess I've always part of my frustrations in testing Urshifu is just every deck plays Mew. And like I was complaining in the chat, like sometimes decks that don't shouldn't be playing them play them, and it just makes testing worse. How 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 much worse is Cramorant with all this Mew floating around? It seems like it would have to be a lot worse. Yeah, it's a good question. It I agree. It probably has to be worse. Assuming people play them but yeah if like i don't know if you can only win games by i'm trying to think of the matchups that the chris Ephelon deck would have that you have do you need chris Ephelon to win because sometimes it's just like your pikachu or your your reshazards are so trade so favorably that you just it doesn't quite matter you don't have to use kramerant but some matchups i feel like you do but i'm just not sure and like the biggest matchup, I think, is the Eternatus matchup, and they can't play Mew, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, so Players Cup 4, I think, should be the main topic next week, because it, like, it literally starts next Monday.